and welcome everyone. I am Caleb Flaggy and this is the Made in Gainesville podcast. On this show, you'll hear stories and get insights from business owners and leaders from across the nation that have ties to Gainesville. On this episode, we'll be talking with Sam Rosati of Pursuant Capital. Sam operates a search fund that purchases and operates Florida businesses. Sam and I will discuss the challenges of managing multiple businesses, why he prefers old economy enterprise, and go over some pointers for people looking to start or buy a company. Enjoy. So you're located in Tampa. What is your connection to Gainesville? So I was born uh, in what is now a parking lot, the old uh, Alachua County General Hospital. So uh, I was born there a long time ago. And then um, we bounced around uh, the states, Virginia, Illinois, back to Florida, and then ultimately went back to Gainesville for college. So I was... uh, I, I caught some of the Tebow years, and it was fantastic. So, so I've got a couple touch points to Gainesville. Your company is Pursuant Capital. What do you do there, and what does the company do? Sure. So, Pursuant Capital is a business where I buy and grow small and medium-sized businesses. So, you can think of it as a holding company. Um, what I do is sort of the day-to-day work for sourcing analyzing, diligencing, and trying to close businesses. Uh, and this is small to medium-sized businesses. So this isn't your local restaurant and bar, and it's, it's not Coca-Cola. It's small, privately held businesses, say, uh, between 5 and $20 million of revenue. When you buy these businesses, how does that work out? How do you, you know, continue the management of the company while you might have you know, more than one business? How do you juggle multiple businesses at the same time it's a challenge right because a lot of the businesses we're buying are owned by baby boomers Uh, think about you know either your parents or your grandparents they're older they've been doing it for 30 years and a lot of times they are the business it's all in their head Um, you know to be clear we try and avoid those kind of situations but it still doesn't change the fact that somebody's got to run after we buy one and so we've kind of done a little bit of everything um We've, I have run one in the past. Uh, I didn't have a good answer for who would run it and still like the business. Want, I wanted some operating experience as well. So I've, I've actually been in the, the CEO chair. Um, I've partnered with other guys, young, sort of mid-career, no longer want to be in the corporate rat race uh, type folks who want to be a business owner. And so uh, partnered with uh, folks like that before. So they come in. They're the day-to-day CEO. They do all the daily operations, and I partner with them to make sure they're on the right track. They can get the capital. They can get the closing done, the whole nine yards, and then and then grow it for the long haul afterwards. So there are cases where you know the business owner might stay involved with the company for a while. Yeah, well, in every case, they stay involved for a little bit of time. Okay, I think the shortest is usually two or three months. I'm not a huge fan of that. You know, it takes years to get up to speed on a small business. So when your seller walks away, that's, that's a lot of knowledge walking away with them. Uh, but yeah, they're always still involved somehow. And maybe after that, that operational transition, you know, they're still holding a little bit of financing for us. So there's, there's a lot of involvement there. Which is okay. Great. So how do you keep them interested, you know, in the business after they've you know, signed a deal? How do you keep them from totally checking out and losing complete interest? <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I'm sure there are a lot of politically correct answers to this question, but 
the most obvious one is in every single case, they have some sort of financial interest in our success after closing, whether that's, you know, they have a small ownership in the business still, or they have um, some seller financing that we're going to pay them over time or what they call an earnout. There's always some level of interest that we leave for them that skin in the game, right? I want to make sure that in a year when something happens, I don't know how to handle it. We can call them up and they're going to be glad to take that call and make sure that we solve the problem. Is it fair to say that you focus on boring companies? <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a better answer for that one. Definitely. It, it didn't start that way. I think my nature is that I'm not a high tech guy. You know, I'm not a, a sort of fang, uh, Facebook Instagram, Netflix. I mean, yeah, of course I use all those platforms, but I'm not really a tech guy, so to speak. So, you know, that first year of searching for a business to buy, it just seemed like I would naturally gravitate towards sort of simpler, old economy, blue collar kind of businesses. And then I guess that's kind of played out through the businesses we've bought in and the ones that we get really interested in. They tend to be simple you know, kind of old economy, uh, not complicated, old fashioned businesses. But that's kind of on purpose too, because, you know, we're going to own these businesses in 20 years. And the worst thing that can happen is some sort of big tech change in a business that, you know, kills it overnight. That's, that's a nightmare for any business owner. Um, so, you know, the older steady eddy businesses, they tend not to be displaced so easily. So would you say there's a little bit less risk there with getting that type of business? I think so. I mean, it's proven that way so far. Um, there's, you know, risk means a lot of things. But yeah, I think older, steadier, consistent businesses that aren't going anywhere, that's the kind of thing we're comfortable with. And, you know, you're, you're a finance guy. So, you know, when you think about buying quality businesses, even though they're not glamorous, if you can buy quality businesses at, at fair prices with fair structures and not over leverage them, that's usually a pretty good recipe. Now, would you say the, the secret's kind of out on those or are they, is that industry kind of a little more overlooked than all the uh, you know, high-flying tech stocks or in companies and whatnot? You mean like the old economy type yeah. businesses? There's so many of them out there in the country. So we're only really searching in Florida, but you know, there's so many smaller old economy businesses owned by aging owners. Even though the secret might be out, you know, you can read a lot about SMB acquisitions and search funds and independent sponsors and, you know, private equity. So the, the secret might be out, but this game is so much harder to execute than it sounds like it is when you read about it online. So yeah, secret's out. But it's all about the execution, and I'm not worried about too many people coming in and actually doing a great job with that. Now, I did call some of the businesses that you bought boring, so I feel like this would be a good time for you to tell us you know, a little bit about what those businesses are so the listeners kind of know what we're talking about here. Sure. Um, a great example is a, a roll-off dumpster company that we bought about uh, 14 months ago. Um, you know, That's about as old economy as it gets. It's a waste business, right? So... Um, folks doing home renovations, redoing their roof, um, small contractors building homes or renovating homes. Uh, they 
order and rent roll off dumpsters to dispose of their construction debris and other cleanout materials. So fantastic micro little business owned by husband and wife in Bradenton. Uh, they were fantastic to work with. They wanted to retire. They didn't want to stick around. They didn't want a lot of uh, involvement post-close. And it was a super steady eddy business. So that was a fantastic transaction. We've enjoyed that process. It, every business is harder than it looks once you get into it. But uh, all things being equal, that's been a great outcome for us. Um, other businesses, we, uh, we purchased a patio screen door manufacturer, um, about as old school as you can get, uh, 30 or so employees in a warehouse in East Tampa, uh, stamping aluminum together to make the screen doors that go on pool and eye screens, you know, hundreds and thousands of those around the state. So again, old economy, local, small, perfect fit for us. So, um, hopefully we'll be closing on another one here in the next month or so. And, you know, I can share with you what that's all about then. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah, no, that one's, um, you know, not to get too detailed since it's not done yet. It's in a landscaping services, uh, related business. They, they install mulch around the state of Florida. So again, old economy, steady Eddie, not going anywhere, uh, small, great little business. Okay, so you have, you know, the roll-off business, screen doors, screen enclosures, and then, you know, landscaping and mulch. Are you, like, really excited when it looks like a hurricane's about to hit Florida? Because <laughs> I mean, that's got to be great for all your businesses, right? It's funny you say that. It needs to be one of those hurricanes that does a little bit of damage all over the place right. and not a ton of damage right around where we operate. So <laughs> um, right after we bought the dumpster company, there was that hurricane that went up the East coast of Florida and we were sitting there sort of licking our chops figuratively and um, thinking, gosh, it's going to blow, you know, 50,000, hundred thousand roofs off and uh, create all this demand for roofing. Therefore demand for roll off dumpsters, you know, just sort of a a natural tailwind for these kind of things like hurricanes. What happened? Hurricane never really touched the coast everybody shut down their businesses, all the dump sites got shut down and it was a disaster for us. So, um, again, not as easy as it sounds. Uh, but yeah, hurricanes definitely help. Uh, do you only focus on Florida companies? Yes. So, you know, that's a great question because a lot of buyers say, you know what, I need to look all over the country. You know, we can easily jump on a plane and get to our companies. I take a different approach. There's enough business in Florida that, you know, we can stay busy and buy enough businesses over the next 20 years to more than wet our appetite. You know, frankly, it's kind of worked out for us in COVID, you know, because the travel restrictions haven't held us back. Florida is a huge state too. I don't think anybody realizes, you know, I live in Tampa, right? So it takes me eight hours to get to Key West and eight hours to get to Pensacola. So it's a 16 hour drive to get to a business potentially if you drove 16 hours from New York city, you'd catch, you know, what, 10 of the biggest cities in Northeastern United States. So Florida is plenty big. Uh, You know, the thing that goes unsaid is that small businesses are hairy and challenging and they require a lot of uh, effort on boots on the ground. And so the idea that I can get in the car and drive to one of our businesses, uh, that's, that's what it's all about. 
He described these businesses as uh, hairy and challenging. Um, I don't know if you're on you know Twitter or not, but there's a pretty good community of you know people that are buying and selling businesses and are involved in finance and and all that, and all kind of share ideas and stuff. And I've noticed there are a pretty good amount of people that retire, like they're in their 70s or whatnot, and then they think it's a good idea to go and buy a business to try to operate it. And like, this is going to be like the retirement gig. Uh, yeah. One of the ones I saw recently was somebody buying a, uh, a very large plumbing company. I mean, is that a, do you feel like that's a good idea? I mean, is this like really a retirement hobby that you can do or is this just all hands on deck? Maybe I'm just doing it wrong. Cause I feel like I am all hands on deck to just try and run a few of these and still have an outsource uh, 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 deal flow sourcing engine and and keep all the balls juggled at the same time. So so no, I I don't know how they do that. You know, good for them. When when I'm retired, I'm hoping to be golfing and on the beach. But um, you know, that's a long way from now. Yeah, it's harder than it sounds to be honest. So buying and running a business that's a full time gig, and uh, you know, it can be a little stressful. It can be, you know, twenty four seven three sixty five. So I don't know what kind of retirement these folks are looking for, but buying a small business, you know, there's a little bit more than, than fits the eye. I've heard of things like buying pool routes or, you know, buy uh, pool cleaning routes, right? Uh, relatively simple, you know, kind of a hobby job. And I think that's a bit different than what we buy, which is, you know, businesses that have, um, you know, five plus million dollars of revenue, 30, 40 employees, you know, maybe a million dollars of profit. These are true enterprises. They're full-time and attention when you buy them. Right. Yeah, I always uh, thought that was a little strange. It's, you know, you're retired. You're wanting to find kind of a retirement hobby. So you're buying a business from somebody who's also trying to retire. It's like, how do you not not see the, the connection there that you're buying a full-time job? It sounds like they should be buying a piece of real estate and just playing landlord. Right. How do you see Pursuant growing in the future? You know, what other kinds of businesses are you looking for? And how do you compete? And what kind of seems to be maybe a little bit of a, a frothy market right now? I think more of the same in the future. I think we just want to rinse and repeat. Find really high quality, you know, small or medium size, old economy businesses from great owners and try and keep their legacy going for the next 20 years. There's tons of that out there and we could do that for 20 years and never have any issues so definitely more of the same i think what'll be hard is when we get to a point where you know maybe we have five or six or seven in the family then we'll probably have far more work than we can handle and you know need some help need some structure um, you know almost kind of create a a business of businesses so that'll be the time and the attention that we've got to put in it's probably a year or two away. Um, but yeah, it, it's certainly a frothy market. I, I think we've seen this for a few years now. It's kind of felt frothy. COVID's changed that. Um, not, not for every business. I think a lot of sellers still have the expectations they had six months ago. But, um, but things are going to change. You know, A lot of the tools, especially around financing, that buyers use have... Uh, sort of stayed on the sidelines. So harder to get some of the financing tools you need to buy these businesses. And without those, you know, a lot of the buyers are on the sidelines and if buyers are on the sidelines, less competition. So I think some of that froth is going to come off the market might take a while, but you know, we're in this for the long haul. So it's no rush. 
So before COVID, it did seem like there was a lot of kind of business purchase activity going on in general. Um, Why was that? Was that because of, you know, cheap money or, you know, how did, how did that really get going? And, um, you know, how do you see that ending or it does it end? I'll just speak to sort of our little corner of the market. Again, these sort of maybe one to $3 million of profit per year businesses. I think that there's this sort of structural shift where people our age who've had the corporate gigs, they want to be entrepreneurs. You know, I think, so there's, again, so many of my friends 10 or 15 years into their corporate jobs say, you know what, this is exhausting. I don't see any incentive to sort of work as hard as I'm working. I want to be my own boss. And I think it's a generational shift. So a lot of interest in going out and buying a small business to run, be your own boss. Uh, I think people are realizing uh, startups are harder than they sound and harder than they look. And so buying an established business is a much safer way to, to be an entrepreneur than starting something. And, and there's definitely just a bunch of money out there to, to help finance these types of purchases. So, you know, it all kind of came to a head and, and there's just a ton of interest in it. Um, yeah, I'm actually sort of trying to figure out where that sweet spot is where we hunt the sort of one to $3 million a year of, of earnings. It's kind of a no man's land. And I think that's a really good opportunity for a buyer that has some experience and knows what they're doing because most of the activity tends to be smaller businesses you know, maybe businesses that have a couple hundred thousand dollars a year of profit, um, you know, single location, 10 employees, a smaller purchase. The SBA is really helpful for people trying to buy those businesses. And then the bigger ones where private equity gets involved, you know, say three, four, five million of EBITDA. Um, but in our little neck of the woods, it's, you know, uh, kind of no, no man's land. So a little less competition. Um, but yeah, still tons of popularity to it. It, again, it sounds way easier and way more fun on Twitter and LinkedIn than it is in real life. It's a lot of work, but um, I love it. I enjoy the challenge. You said that it's easier to uh, buy a business rather than start a business. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I mean, like some of the things, you know, they get purchased and you look at the sales price, you know, you kind of start to think, well, it's like, okay, well, you know, I could have sourced everything and done that on my own for significantly less than the purchase price. Uh, what is it about buying the existing business that's so attractive as opposed to say starting a, you know, a, a roll off dumpster company from scratch? So I'll, I'll admit I've never done a startup. So this is all sort of from reading and, and Twitter and, you know, the, the sort of general rules of thumb, but you know, I kind of always thought that first million dollars of revenue, that's the hardest million dollars of revenue to earn. You've got to, think of what your business idea is. You've got to start your company. You've got to maybe raise some, some money to buy some assets or buy your inventory. You've got to quit your job and actually spend your time doing the things like getting customers, delivering a product or service, and, and all the things related to a business. And then you've got to scale up to a point where it's not just you, not you doing pool routes. It's you hiring 20 employees to do your pool routes 
And that shift from being a sort of solo entrepreneur to owning and running a true business, that to me sounds really hard. There's a lot of risk there. And yeah, it probably costs a lot less to just start something. But, and when you buy a business, you have to pay a multiple of annual profit to own it. So you've got to, you know, either invest a lot of your own money or, you know, get a bank loan and pay that money back. But to have that established, profitable, consistent cash flowing business on day one, to me, that eliminates, you know, most of the risk in being an entrepreneur. I'm sure with the type of business that you have, you know, you probably have a lot of brokers, you know, calling you up, trying to sell you businesses, you know, since they know that you're buying businesses. Um, I know in those cases, maybe some things are, uh, you know, presented a little more rosy than they really are. What, uh, what's the most kind of outrageous proposal that you've seen so far? Oh God, I have seen everything from half truths to flat out lies. I, my favorite is when you see historical uh, revenue figures that are trending down. You can't fake numbers in the past. So, you know, numbers will be going down, whether it's just a little or a lot. And then all of a sudden, just as closing is, is happening, they are starting to project this very straight and steady growth. Just goes parabolic, right? <laughs> and you ask why? And, and, you know, the answer will be, well, you know, the owner is tired and trying to retire and isn't very active and, um, you know, isn't putting a lot of energy into the business. And as soon as you come in, you know, you'll be able to turn it around and, you know, shoot the growth off so that you can make this a really successful enterprise. And I always ask myself, I know nothing about this business, nothing about this industry. How on earth am I going to possibly do that? And, and then the best one, of course, is that, um, you know, at least in my mind, the most egregious thing is then they'll expect that the purchase price incorporates a lot of that future growth that mm -hmm. we're going to go out there and earn. So, uh, yeah, those are the kind of businesses that don't sell, or at least not for the price that the sellers want. So how do you weed all of the, the nonsense out? Like how can you, how do you figure out what's a, uh, you know, half truth and what's a legitimate, you know, proposal from somebody? <laughs> well, uh, pay my CPA to tell me <laughs> that's one. Um, two is I see a lot of deals. And so, you know, after, so I've done this for a fair bit of time. After seeing enough deals, you kind of get a really good sense real quick for the things you should look at sort of the high risk items, you know, what's the usual fudge numbers that you can look for. And uh, yeah, you become a lot quicker at seeing those things in the deal documents. You just go to the last page first of the deal documents. Is that usually where they uh, bury the unflattering stuff? Exactly. Go to the financials, go to the very bottom adjustments to EBITDA. That's where <laughs> you find uh, even though net income or their taxable income was zero, they uh, miraculously have a million dollars of adjusted pro forma EBITDA. So, uh, yeah. Of well, there you go. Are there any comical business situations that you've had to deal with so far? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, more than I can possibly imagine. The best ones are site visits um, when you're trying to be confidential about the site visit. And um, it, this was way back when I was first starting. 
I was, you know, relatively young going into a, you know, 60 year old, old economy business owners factory. And this was probably my first site visit of all time. Um, pretty green. I'm pretty young and I'm just trying to get a sense for what a site visit's all about, what this kind of uh, manufacturing business is all about. And of course, you know, uh, former lawyer in me says, you know, I'm going to put on my suit and tie and go walk into this uh, factory. And of course, I stand out like a sore thumb. And I learned real quick that this is a, a khakis and golf shirt world uh, at, the, at the most formal. And just to kind of button it down a little bit, make everybody a bit more comfortable. And, and I try and walk in like I'm some sort of lawyer or banker trying to intimidate everybody. Well, if you're trying to go confidential, maybe you should dress as like a pest control guy or something. <laughs> exactly. So we talked about the business a lot. Um, how did you end up in this business? I'm, you know, you had mentioned, uh, you know, people getting tired of, um, you know, the corporate world and, and wanting to be an entrepreneur. Is, is that the route that you took, a former corporate? Yeah, I've never in a million years would I have thought I would be buying small, middle-sized businesses in central Florida and trying to run them for the long haul. I mean, that was the longest shot I could ever imagine. I was a CPA in a prior career, you know, working for one of the big four PwC and went off to law school, became an M&A lawyer, was helping really successful entrepreneurs sell businesses. And, uh, that was kind of where I cut my teeth, but I think, uh, I'm not sure, you know, when it was exactly, but sitting there late at night reviewing deal documents for other people's deals, you know, I, over time you just start asking yourself, you know, is this what I want to do for 30 years? Am I really enjoying the process here? Do I have skin in the game? Is this, you know, an adventure that I'm enjoying? And uh the answer was no. And I just had to figure out what that meant. So, uh I got lucky. I listened to podcasts, read a bunch of books, and just through dumb luck, stumbled on the search fund concept. And, you know, another year went by and I kind of did all my homework and uh, started a self-funded search fund. And that was the beginning uh, of this, whatever this is. We, you know, started planning to buy one business and, uh, well, I guess, you know, that's what happens with plans. We bought a few. And then continue down that path. And now we're looking to buy a few more. So we're going to keep doing that. Well, speaking of which, um, I mean, I know you said you hold on to these for the, the long haul, but I mean, do you ever exit any of the companies? Is there any sort of metric that you look for to exit or not, are you just strictly buying, you know, essentially to hold forever? Well, you never know what is going to happen with your plans, but we don't really have any plans to exit per se. It's hard enough to find a good business. It's hard enough to find a seller who's reasonable and who's a good quality person. It's hard enough to learn a new business and a new industry and get comfortable. You know, after doing all that work, you almost are obligated to stay in it for a long time because of the effort you put in. And, you know, frankly, we're buying these businesses at really good prices. So, you know, we, there's a lot of tailwinds behind all that. I, I don't think we'd ever, at least not in the near term, or unless we got a crazy offer, um, we wouldn't necessarily look to sell. It's not really in the game plan. 
the idea here is, you know, think about somebody who wants to own a big, you know, chunk of, of real estate rental properties. And you're not really there to fix and flip. You're not a house flipper. You're trying to build up that annuity stream so that one day you can kind of sit back and say, I built this annuity stream and maybe life can be a little easier now. We're trying to do the same thing just with small businesses. Do you have any advice for anybody that might be interested in either starting a business or looking for a business to purchase? Yeah, God, just read. There's a mountain of info out there. I think the search fund community and you know the Twitter community that you're referring to of people buying small businesses, it's gold. I mean, you can pretty much get your own sort of self-educated MBA by reading uh, articles. Uh, there's websites that just Google search fund and go down that wormhole for a couple hours. And it, you'll know pretty quickly if this is for you. And I, and I honestly think that the search fund route is probably the better way to start than the startup route, just because it, it, you know, when you think about startups, everybody thinks you've got to have this genius idea and that's where everybody gets stuck is nobody has this genius idea. So start reading about search funds, start reading about businesses that other people have started and made a lot of money from and been successful from and go from there. Maybe you'll get the genius startup idea, but maybe you won't. And you'll just realize that the best thing for you to do is go get an SBA loan, find a small business to buy and now you're on your way. Great. Awesome. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, you got it. I hope somebody likes to listen to this. It's kind of boring and off the beaten path, but uh, Twitter's telling me it's getting more popular. So maybe people are.